this week on Hope for the Broken. Here's where I'd like to go with this. If God knows what we need, why do we pray? Well, God does have something to say about it. He knows the desires of our hearts and he calls us to verbalize our needs. He doesn't want us to pray because he doesn't know something. We pray because prayer benefits us and it deepens our dependence on him. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Real Questions, Biblical Answers. Here's our executive pastor, Jeff Julian, with part three titled, Why Pray If God Already Knows? You and I have an opportunity to continue in this series, uh, Real Questions, Biblical Answers. We've asked for folks over the past uh, August and whatnot to give us an opportunity to hear from you what's going on in your, your mind, some questions that you may have. And so we're trying to answer these along. So today, uh, my challenge is, what is the purpose of prayer? Why why are we supposed to pray? The question that was submitted was, uh, if God knows everything already, why do we need to pray? Great question, right? So we're going to tackle some of this today. But first, I'd like for us to take your scriptures out and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and I'd like for you to examine with me verses 5 through 15. A little bit of context here. This is a portion of Scripture which is a continuation. Uh, Jesus is, this is part of his what's famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching all of these folks that have come to listen to him. He's teaching them uh, really uh, how to live life how to live life for Christ, how to live life for God and be that person that we need to be. And he talks about things like uh, prior to this, he talks about what is it, how does it look to give to the needy? How are we supposed to do that? So we translate these as we begin to understand today for you and I, what does it look like? What is this, how does this play out for you and I today? We think that this stuff is just old and it doesn't matter today but it does. It's very clear and it's very purposeful. So I want to take a look at this because Jesus has something to say about prayer. And this is what he says, picking up in verse five, a continuation. And he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at all the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for the Father who knows what you need before you ask him. So if that's the case, I want you to first of all see that there's a couple of different factors here. First, you have Jewish people. They're in synagogues. Their leaders are praying in certain ways in the synagogues. Then you also have the Gentiles. So this is uh, dealing with folks who are not of the Jewish faith. They're coming in from different backgrounds, different elements of all kinds of different uh, religions and backgrounds and things that were done in their particular ways. So we had this blending. Jesus is dealing with the blending of religions here. And so he's trying to give clear definition to those who are listening of what does it mean to pray? What are some things to be looking for? So the, he begins with, and his Sermon on the Mount with this. So got to me, got, for me, I started thinking, what, how has this played along throughout history? I, I love history. I like going back and looking at things. I still believe we can learn a lot from the good and the bad of history, okay? I don't want to throw away things of history that I particularly do not agree with, I want to learn from. So that's the way I view it. But I wanna go back to the date 1563. 1563 AD was a particularly interesting time in the world because this was the beginning of our separation from the Catholic dominated religion to a Protestant. It was called, basically in this time frame was what's called the Protestant Reformation. So basically what this was, this is a significant time, which was led by a fellow mate you may be aware of from church history settings, was, his name was Martin Luther, all right? So there was a identification of the corruptness that was happening within the, the church organization as a whole. And there needed to be a separation from that to come back to really what scripture has to say. So this is where we pick up. And it was such a significant thing that because of the lack of ability for teachers and all of those to be able to proliferate this understanding of what does it mean to really be Christ-centered and biblically centered in our faith, they came up with what's called a catechism. A catechism is something not scriptural in nature. It is not looked upon as sacred, all right? A catechism is looked upon as a tool. Fair enough? It's a tool. It's used to be able to help us along in remembering things. So in this catechism, this is called the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the interesting ones because this, in the history of, of the world, this was a time when the Reformation and bringing, bringing the religion to a relationship with Christ and not any other mediator. Significant time frame in church history life. And so 
I began reading this catechism and I noticed that in this catechism, in question 116, there is a, there's a couple of questions. The first one is this, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Remember, these are questions and answers to help people identify and begin to understand how am I supposed to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? All right, that's what this is based on. So the question is, how am I supposed to pray? Why is it necessary? And then the answer is because prayer is the most important part of, our, of the thankfulness which God requires from us. Moreover, God will give his grace and his Holy Spirit only to those who constantly with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thankfulness for him. The second question is what belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard. First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word or all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest in this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear, hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord. And he has promised us in his word. And what has God commanded to ask of him? All things we need for body and soul as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. These reminders show us that we all need, we all need a place to go to, to remember. Many times we go through life and we forget a lot of things, right? The older you get, I'm, I'm understanding, I forget a lot of things. That's why uh, I depend on, my wife is a, huge proponent and fan of sticky notes sticky notes reign supreme at our house and if I have any doubt I can look in our kitchen on the kitchen cabinets the sticky notes boop, boop, boop. they are great it serves as a reminder all right so what does all this mean these questions that these people were having back in 1563, look, you and I don't have any new questions. <laughs> we, think, we think we have new stuff, but we don't. It's just the same old stuff recycled. That's the way it is. And I'm gonna prove my point because I'm gonna go back another step. As I've already mentioned to you, I love history, but this story is fascinating to me because it involves one of my favorite theologians that I follow a lot and have read many of his books. Augustine. I don't know if you know who Augustine from Hippo of Hippo is. Uh, Hippo is actually Northern Africa, just to be clear. It's a location, all right? Uh, but Augustine uh, responded to a letter of a friend of his. Her name was Ananisha Faltonia Proba. Great name, right? She was a widow. She was a Christian Roman noblewoman. Uh, she actually became a widow at around the age of 30 
She was married to one of the wealthiest men in the Roman Empire at the time. And uh, she had a family. Uh, all of these things. One of the interesting things about her time frame is, is that she uh, lived in the time and actually communicated personally with Augustine. Uh, which was pretty cool to me that people actually knew him. Uh, she also knew John Christendom, who was uh, from Antioch, and he later went on to be appointed as the Archbishop of Constantinople. But Ananesia wrote a letter and communicated to Augustine. She was basically saying, I know you understand my circumstances. I'm a widow. I've, I'm trying to raise my kids. And matter of fact, this was actually just a couple of years prior to the fall of Rome, which Ananesia actually saw and was a part of because she fled Rome with her family to Northern Africa. She says, I just had this fear that I'm not praying right. I'm just not praying as I should. She was worried about her prayer life. Isn't that interesting? Out of all the things that were involved in life, when you walked in here today, could I have asked you out of the blue, what are you most worried about in your life? What would you have said? If you ask me, I'm, I'd be going, I'm worried about what's going to happen for lunch. I mean, that's, that's a pretty significant part of my life at the moment. I'm already thinking about it. But I don't think that I would have said, I'm worried that I'm not praying as I should. In the sake of time, I do... I want to hustle through this because I love the way people wrote back then. I love listening to how they wrote. We have a part of this letter that Augustine wrote in 412 AD. All right, 412. This is what he says. Recollecting your request and my promise that as soon as time and opportunity should be given by him to whom we pray, I would write you something on the subject of prayer to God. I feel it my duty now to discharge this debt and in the love of Christ to minister to the satisfaction of your pious desire. I cannot express in words how greatly I rejoiced because of the request in which I perceived how great is your solicitude about this supremely important matter. For what could be more suitably the business of your widowhood than to continue in supplications night and day? According to the apostle's admonition, she that is a widow indeed and desolate trust in God and continues in supplications night and day. This is 1 Timothy 5, 5. It might indeed appear wonderful 
that solicitude about prayer should occupy, occupy your heart and claim the first place in it. When you are, so far as this world is concerned, noble and wealthy, and the mother of such an illustrious family, and although a widow, not desolate, were it not that you wisely understand that in this world and in this life, the soul has no sure portion. What a great way to start a letter. I mean, to me, that is something that is powerful and to the point, well thought out, purposeful in nature to say, I heard your requests. I'm grateful for you asking. Thank you for considering me to reply to you. That's what God wants to do with us when we consider how are we supposed to pray? What do my prayers need to look like? I don't know about you, but I do not have this figured out very well. I still struggle in my prayer time. I still struggle in finding how do I pray regularly? How do I pray and not lose track of what I'm praying? How do I pray and keep a, a one main thought going on at the same time because my mind starts bouncing off. Oh, I'm going to be praying for this. Oh, but I knew that this is happening. So I'm going to pray over here and then I'm praying over here. It happens to all of this, correctly? So here's, here's where I'd like to go with this. So in relation to our topic, real question, biblical answers. If God knows what we need, why do we pray? So here's the point. You, me, the disciples, and Ananisha Proboa, all want to know how we should pray. Well, God does have something to say about it. He knows the desires of our hearts and he calls us to verbalize our needs. He does indeed. But the reason he does this is not because he needs us. Uh, he needs to be nudged out of his slumber or a nap or something. He doesn't want us to pray because he doesn't know something. That's not the deal. We pray because prayer benefits us and it deepens our dependence on him. So let's get to a couple points. First and foremost, for me, when I look at this, uh, I see that there was uh, an interesting quote by a guy named A.W. Pink. He was, a, he was a preacher and a theologian, theologian in the, uh, I guess early uh, 1901, 1905 in that range. And he said this when he was preaching in the London area. He says that prayer is not designed for the furnishing of God with the knowledge of what we need, but it is designed as a confession to him of our sense of need. Man, I listened to that, I'm going, I get stuck in this idea on the first part of it that I'm thinking that 
I'm furnishing God with this stuff of everything that I need. I'm thinking that I, I need to let him know all of this stuff that I want or what I need, what I think would be great, I would love to have, I wish you would take care of this, and I always have a way that I want it to be taken care of. Do you ever do that? I do. I pray a lot of times to say, God, I need this to happen. And really, uh, here is when the date is. So I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need it then. Okay? Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow. But here's what I'm coming to understand as I began to dive into this. Number one for me, I think to look at the whole text of God's word and, and figure out how do I begin to pray correctly, I need to go back and, and apply these things. And first and foremost, what I see in my time of studying is number one, it's a positional thing. It is a positional. It is how I am in my understanding of my position and my posture before God. This is going to be the very first rule in my life of how I pray. This is where it starts. And what do I mean by this? What do I mean as the positional piece of this? Well, we have to go to look at a couple points under, under this understanding what positional is. Number one is that there is an element of obedience involved. Look, God tells us that you and I uh, need to understand what obedience is. The reason we need this is because it is to our benefit. Obedience is something that's helpful for us. Listen how he describes this in Matthew 26, 41. This is Jesus' words and he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. We have a great idea that my spirit is willing. I'm, I'm so ready to do what God wants me to do, but my flesh is weak. I am distracted. I am beat down by the world around me. That's what happens in my life. But my obedience to God is to understand who I am in Christ and to be obedient to his lordship over my life. That is what obedience is. The beauty of it is, it is to my benefit. It's not a lordship to beat you down and hold you down, but it is a lordship to bring you up and lift you up. That's the kind of obedience because it is to our benefit and that is the relationship that we have available to us with Christ. So that's my first position. As I come to the throne of grace in my prayer is that I'm obedient first and foremost to God. Number one, I am praying to him. I'm praying to God on a regular basis. The second piece that I see involved in this positional nature is humility. What does it look like 
for me to come before the Father with humility. What does that mean? Well, first of all, I think that when we find, uh, we see an example that Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. If you want to take a look at this, I think this is an interesting piece of scripture. So let's take a look at uh, Philippians 5, uh, 2, 5 through 8. And this is, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. All right, so he is bringing these two concepts together, that my mind and the mind of Christ in humility need to come together. All right, so here's what that means. Because Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's what he's saying. Christ had the form of, uh, uh, form of us as humans, but he had the very nature and the mind of God. One of the most beautiful things is that you and I uh, and the people on earth had the privilege of seeing divine and humanity in a single entity. You and I have recording. We have God's word to be able to look at and see that Jesus, fully God and fully man, and how we walk that so that you, can, I, you and I could see even today through his word. His admonishment is you too need to learn humility. Jesus displayed it while he was here. The third thing I want to point to is something that Augustine brought up when he was writing back to the widow Proba. He mentioned in this letter in return, he says, another positional thing is to understand to be desolate. We don't like to hear that phrase. We don't like to understand what desolate is because in my, our mind, we think that there's just nothing, nothing at all. You ever been out driving west, west Texas and all that area that way? We think we use the word, gosh, it's just desolate out here. It's just desolate. But you talk to somebody who is out there, that lives out there, farms out there, ranches out there, you know what they say? It's beautiful. Most beautiful place on earth. Listen, this is what Augustine wrote. He says, you must count yourselves desolate in this world, and this is why. However great the prosperity of your lot may be, no matter how great your earthly circumstances, they cannot bring us the peace, happiness, and consolation found in Christ. If we do not see this truth, our, all our prayers will go wrong. Whoa. That stop me right there to see that what am I, where's my position at as I approach God's throne? The phrase, uh, Psalms 27 says this, one thing I have and ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire 
in his temple. Generally, I'm going to tell you that is not my first phrase when I pray. It's not. Because I'm wrapped up with all the things that I need. I need, from, from preparing this sermon, I have learned that I need to re regroup in my prayer time. Because if I'm lacking the opportunity to stand before the Lord and say, you are all that I need. If I get anything else, it's not gonna make me happier in the end than to have the Lord. And I think my stuff is good that I'm asking for, but it still will not matter in the perspective of Christ. The second piece that I want to entertain is it's also transformational. It's, it's, it's positional in nature of how you and I need to be, but it's also transformational, what happens in my life. The thing that I, I want you to, to understand is that prayer, like everything else in the Christian's life, is for God's glory and our benefit in that order. It's God's glory and in our benefit. It's, but it has to be that order. It can't be for my benefit, for God's glory. It has to be God's glory first. So that is the reason why our position and our transformation have to be involving these things. So there's two pieces here that I want to get to. Under this transformation, I need to understand that my prayer life in the transformation side is that it actually is effective in nature. There is, there are things that happen. It is a way that you and I communicate with the Lord and we begin it, it begins the process when we pray from a heart that has been turned and obedient to Christ and humble before Christ, we begin to see actually the, the transformation in others' lives and in the purposes that are revealed. A couple of things that I've learned before in my prayer time of being effective is that it always includes adoration. It always includes confession it always includes thanksgiving, and it always includes supplication. The thing about that is, is that if I'm not doing these things, then I am only one-sided, single-dimensional. If I'm only doing intercession or supplication, I'm missing the point that God's, God's design and his greatness is multi-dimensional. It's not dealing with just one thing at this one given time, at this one given moment. God's design is big, it's deep, it's wide, it's high. It's multi-dimensional. But when you and I get into this zone of thinking and forgetting who we are and what we are to God, we will not understand how to pray effectively. 
The second piece of uh, transformational is that it's powerful. You know, God brings about his decrees through people. He does. We've seen multiple instances of prayers that have uh, moved uh, the decrees along that people would understand and know Christ and actually see things that would move them in such a way that they would understand who God is and the power and the significance of God. One example of that is James uh, 17 and 18. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave him rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, this was to bring people to understand and honor and glorify God. That's the whole point of that. This wasn't because Elijah was going, ha, I'm going to show them. I'm going to pray it doesn't rain. No, that, that's not the point. The point is, is to bring about God's honor and glory and allow others to come to him. I want uh, to, to give you a picture of this last piece here. Luke 22, 39 through 46 gives us one of the most beautiful pieces of you and I can see, that you and I can see is God, Jesus, in his full humanity and in his full divineness. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane on the last night. They've just done the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He takes some disciples and he says, you stay here and pray. He moves on a little bit further and he begins to pray. Just zero in on 42, just for a second, will you? Will you just zero in on 42? It says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Fully human. Fully human. You and I, in this circumstance, would pray, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. But in the same breath, do you see his position? Do you see his obedience? Do you see his humbleness and his divineness? And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I began examining my heart specifically this week on where I am with that. My prayer today, my prayer is that the Lord Jesus Christ will move you in understanding what prayer is all about. Will you please go to God's word and find out? Don't just take my word for it. But these are just steps, simply just steps 
I'm asking because I believe it is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding who I am because you are loved. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.